Welcome to the Home Collective Podcast, where we discuss leadership, culture, and revival. Feel free to check out our Thursday night teachings from our gatherings, which you can find on our website at www.homedowntown.org, as well as iTunes under Home Downtown. Thank you for joining us. Amen. Awesome. Well, great to see everybody here tonight. Thanks for coming out on a, on a Tuesday. That's pretty cool. And uh, it's really uh, a great honor to be here. Uh, I wrote the word home in Hebrew, and it's three letters. It's a bait, a yod, and a tav. And home is really the heart where all of us are at, in essence, right? That we all desire to be part of a family. We desire to be part of something that's bigger than ourselves. And, and I'm so grateful for, for Jordan and the excellent team. So tonight, we're going to talk about two concepts, glory and honor. And I like to teach interactively. Interactive teaching is really the Hebraic way of learning. Uh, it's not so much the answers that you get, but the questions that you ask. Um, so I'm going to try to do that the best we can while also making sure that we have a chance to uh, get this on the podcast. So those that aren't able to see the cool whiteboard, right, super high tech, um, then uh, they'll still be able to kind of track with us. So when you hear the concepts glory and honor, and this is an and symbol there, not a four, but glory and honor, what, what are some things that you think about? Let's just take the word glory. When you think of glory, what comes to your mind? Salvation. Salvation, Okay. What else when you think of glory? Praise. Say it again. Praise. Praise. Uh, recognition. recognition. Excellent. Excellent. What about honor? How would you delineate uh, glory from honor per se? When you think about honor, what are some concepts that come to your mind? Respect. Respect. Yeah, that's a good one. What else? Prestige. Prestige. Good one. I'm not going to even try to spell that. I'm just going <laughs> to do it. <that. laughs> Okay, I'll use the spell check on the whiteboard, right? Um, what are some other things that come to your mind when you think of honor? Selfless. Nice. Excellent. That's good. I'll just... What else do you think of when you think of honor? Well, what are some contexts that you think of when you, when you hear the word honor? What are some, maybe some regions of life or some different elements that come to your mind? Putting others before yourself. Okay, excellent. We'll just put uh, humility. That's kind of where we're going to go with that. Okay, what else? A certain standard of character. Excellent. So we're going to look at this from a, from a scriptural standpoint about the concepts of glory and honor. So let's go ahead and start off with Proverbs chapter 22, verse 4. So if you want to follow along, you can. Uh, I'll be reading from the Holman Christian Standard Bible. We're going to look at a couple of scriptures and unpack this a little bit. So Proverbs 22.4 says, The result of humility is fear of the Lord, along with wealth, honor, and life. The result of humility is fear. Now this Hebrew word here for fear doesn't mean to be afraid of God, but it's to have a reverence, right? We would also use the word revere like Paul Revere. So the result of humility is to revere the Lord. Now in your Bibles, how, how is that spelled, the word Lord there? How is that spelled? All caps. All caps, right? So most of the English Bibles, they're gonna put this word Lord 
capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. This is actually the personal name of God the Father. And in Hebrew, it's also four letters, and it's this middle one here, like in the word for home, which is bait. But it's a yod, a he, a vav, and a he. And if you if you kind of realized the Hebrew goes right to left, right, or top down, uh, as compared to English goes left to right. So this right here, yod he vav he, is equivalent to the way the English translators translated the word Lord. The Hebrew word for Lord is actually Adonai. Everybody say Adonai. But when you see this, this is actually the personal name for our Heavenly Father, right? Which it's four letters. It's yod heh vav heh. Some people enunciate it like Yahweh or Yahweh. Some people enunciate it Yehovah. Nobody knows exactly how to enunciate it, but everybody knows how to spell it. So it says the result of humility, we're in Proverbs 22, 4. The result of humility is fear of the Lord along with wealth, honor, and life. Now, it's very interesting. The two, the two words that we use in English for glory and honor, they actually are much more connected in the Hebrew language. And there are also three letters. Everybody say three. The Hebrew language is filled with three-letter root words. And you kind of build the rest of your vocabulary out of these three-letter root words. So the word for glory, and it's also sometimes used for honor, is the word kavod. Everybody say kavod. Now, it's three letters, and the first one is a cough, the second one is a bait, and the third letter is a dalit. This bait is the, also the first letter of the word home here, and the cool thing about the Hebrew language is it is a archaic language or a tribal language, right? So the original, like these are kind of the modern letters, uh, but the original letters were very much like like hieroglyphics or uh, pictograph type formats, right? So this letter here, kavod, was actually, and I'm not a, an amazing artist at all, but it was kind of like the, the palm of the hand, the palm of the hand. So this concept of the palm of the hand, so just think of, of kind of like that, that obviously many times could refer to provision, right? Because you oftentimes work with your hands. This second letter here is the bait, which is the first uh, letter of the word home in Hebrew, right? So this equals home. And the word bait is named after the letter bait, which actually means house or home, right? So you can kind of imagine pictographically, like just imagine like a little tent, right? And this was kind of the top part, and then this would be the opening. But that's kind of where you would, you would chill. You would live with your family. And then the third letter here, so you have the cough. Everybody say cough. And what does it represent in the paleo, in like the ancient? Yeah, it's the palm of the hand, right? Which could represent provision. And then this is the house, right? So just imagine like a little, a little house here, okay? So, and then the third letter is a dalit. Everybody say dalit. So we're in a season called the Passover season, right? How many of you growing up ever saw the movie, The Ten Commandments? All right, that's good. ABC, like they show it like, for like 40 some years, right? So if you were ever like on a Sunday night, their resurrection day, they normally have the 10 commandments. But uh, one of the things that happens in the 10 commandments is they took the blood of a lamb and where did they put that blood? On the doors, right? And specifically they put it on the top part of the door and then they put it on the two posts. Well, this letter here is kind of reminiscent of that. You can see the top part here and then the bottom. 
And this is the letter Dalit. And this actually represents a door. Now, why is this important? Why am I taking time for this? Because every one of the Hebrew letters, which the, the Holy Bible was originally written in Hebrew, right? Aramaic, which is like a sister language. And then the New Covenant scriptures were written in the Greek language, but they were written by Jewish apostles, right? The only one who wasn't ethnically Jewish was a guy named Luke. He was a medical doctor, but Luke was probably what they call a proselyte. A proselyte is somebody who converted to what we would call Judaism in the first century, right? So all of them had a Hebraic mindset or Hebraic lens, right? How many of you wear glasses in here? I already see a few, right? Uh, or contacts, right? So what, what does that do when you wear a contact lens? How does it adjust your vision? It makes it clear, right? If you're farsighted, right, or nearsighted, it kind of helps to adjust that. Well, being able to see the scriptures from the original authors, the way they viewed the words and the language is extremely important. And I think it'll really help us. So these three letters, the kof, which represents the open hand or provision, the bait, which represents the house, and then the dalit, which represents the door. So this would be the word for glory, but it's also sometimes used for the word honor. So in Hebrew, you'd enunciate this kavod. Everybody say kavod. kavod. Right? Now, the word for honor is just a slight variation, but it's the same three letters. It would be kaved. But the concept is this. For you to have uh, the provision in your life, you have to sometimes have the door of honor and glory come into your house. You see, you got to be able to walk through that door of honor and glory so that your house, which could represent your physical body, right? As long as where you live, then the provision of the almighty is going to come to your, your life. You see, you may be thinking right now, man, I need a lot more than just provision, right? Although we all need some financial provision, but this concept of provision or this concept of, of God's blessing on our life is way bigger than just finances, right? It could be your future spouse, right? It could be your job, your career path that you want to go. It could be a uh, hope, right? It doesn't matter if your bank account's full, but you have no hope right? But it's also kind of a bummer if you have a lot of hope, but your bank account's empty, right? So the scriptures are always very practical. They deal with the spirit, the soul, and the body. Can you say amen? Amen. amen. Let's check out another scripture. Uh, let's go to the book of Genesis, and we're going to jump into chapter 12. Now, one of the principles of trying to make sure that we understand um, the Bible is a concept called hermeneutics. Everybody say hermeneutics. Has anybody ever heard that term before? What, Micah, you've heard it before? Well, how, would, how would you explain what hermeneutics is or the science of hermeneutics? Pretty much, right. Or trying to basically have rules for interpretation. Part of the problem that we have in the United States is that you have a wide range of people who interpret scripture, right? You have some that interpret it very liberally. You have others that interpret it very literally. And you can have a whole range of things, right? And if somebody goes into a, a particular text already with a bent, right? Or let's say they have an agenda and they're trying to put the agenda on the text, you can make the scripture say anything you want, right? I mean, there's a scripture that says that, that David loved Jonathan, right? And it almost implies like David loved Jonathan more than he loved 
uh, his wives, right? You could get a whole lot out of that, right? And there's people that have done that. They've taken David and Jonathan's covenantal relationship and tried to make it something other than what it was, right? So it's really important that we understand not only the lens that we're looking at, the Hebraic lens, but we understand some of the rules for interpretation. So that's basically what hermeneutics is. It's making sure that we can interpret scripture correctly. So one of the things that we always look at is who was the author, right? Now, real spiritual people say, well, yeah, the Holy Spirit was the author. Well, yes, the Holy Spirit was the author, but the Holy Spirit would use humans to be the conduit or to be the, uh, the, the marker in his hand, right? So each one of the authors, the human authors, had a certain personality or they had a certain uh, testimony, right? So we want to make sure that we understand who the author was. The other thing we always want to focus on is who was the audience, right? Who was this being written to? And then as Micah referred to, we want to make sure we understand some of the cultural dynamics. So the first five books of the Bible, who can name the first five books of the Bible in English? Go ahead. Numbers and Deuteronomy, excellent. So everybody say Genesis, Genesis. Exodus, Exodus. Leviticus, Leviticus, Numbers, Numbers. and Deuteronomy. All right, if you got all five, you get a free cookie out in the lobby. (laughs) Okay, so those five books of the Bible, right? We'll call them the first five, right? The Fab Five. They are known as the Torah. Everybody say Torah. Now, the Torah is the first five books of the Bible, and I wish I would have brought mine tonight, but if you would have seen it in a scroll format, it's like all five, you know, all five seasons of your favorite, you know, Netflix show or whatever. It's all together, all in one, you know, box set, right? And it's one scroll. It's really, you know, chunky. It's really large scroll, but those are the first five books of the Bible. Now, the word Torah is oftentimes translated as the word law. Everybody say law. Law. But really the best translation for it is the word instructions. Everybody say instructions. instructions. Now when you hear the word law versus the word instructions, what comes to your mind? If you hear the word law versus instructions. That's great, dude, that's amazing. Law is what not to do, right? That's normally what you think of. Instructions is, how did you say it? How to do it? Yeah, Yeah, how to do it, right? So normally if you put something together, you buy a piece of furniture from Ikea or something like that, there'll be some instructions. Most guys, the first thing we do is we just put those instructions off to the side, right? And we just jump into it. And then, you know, all the ladies, they probably have a little bit more wisdom, a little bit more humility. So they're, they take time to look through it and say, okay, I've got to make sure I, you know, I want, I want my, my little desk to look nice and, you know, not be missing pieces or whatever. But instructions are exactly that. They're to instruct us or give us wisdom for life. Now, back to this concept of glory and honor. Where is the first time that this term glory is found? Well, let's look at Genesis chapter 12, verse 10. So one of the rules of hermeneutics or interpreting scripture or understanding scripture is a principle called the principle or the law of first mention. Everybody say first mention. mention. Not a trick question at all. What do you think the law of first mention means? Adam, come on, bro, work with me. The law of first mention. What do you think it means in reference to a concept or a word in scripture? 
Bingo, exactly. I told you it was not a trick question. Very good. You get a, a double cookie, right? So the law of first mention is whenever you're looking at a concept in the scriptures is you want to go to where it was first mentioned because it's going to give you a point of reference. So the first time that this word kavod, which is the word we often translate as glory and sometimes honor, is found in Genesis chapter 12, verse 10. And it says... There was a famine in the land. So Avram, now Avram is a man who came from what's modern day Iraq. And he later had his name changed, but at this time his name was Avram or Abram. He went down to Egypt to live there for a while because the famine in the land was severe. Everybody say severe. So the first time the word glory or kavod is used is to be a descriptive word. It's used as an adjective for the severity of the famine. Now, another cool thing to remember, how do you spell kavod? Do you guys remember in Hebrew? First letter? Kaf, very good. Second letter, it's the first word of the word home. It's a little house. Bet, very good. Bet or bet. And then the third letter, like the exodus, Dalit. So you have the Dalit, right? You have the Kavod, the Beit, and the Dalit. So you can kind of hear the enunciation of this transliterated. This middle letter can sound like a B or a V. So you would have these three letters, and then you just would put the different. There's technically no vowels in Hebrew, uh, but there's little pointers. So you would have Kavod or Kaved or Kavad. Now, the Hebrew language, how many letters are normally in the root word of any Hebrew? Three, okay? Now, the cool thing is, is this word, glory or honor, it can be used as a verb, it could be used as an adjective, or it could be used as a noun. What is a verb? Uh, say it. It's an action word. Very good. An action word, right? What is an adjective? It describes something, and it normally describes a noun. So the cool thing, because again, Hebrew is an ancient language, right? It's a simple language, really. It's a tribal language. So they would just have these pictographs, right? The open hand, the house, and the door to describe something that was intense or severe. Now, the first time it's found as a noun is in Genesis chapter 13, verse 2. So this is just one chapter later. Remember, the Torah was just written in one big kind of ongoing scroll, but the first book is Genesis. And in chapter 13, verse 2, let's look at verse 1 to have some context. It says, then Abram went up from Egypt to the Negev. Now, when the Bible's using these terms, we got to have a little bit of an understanding of some of the geography of the Middle East, okay? So over here is the Med. Okay, the Mediterranean Sea. So right here, when it says in verse 1, then Avram went up from Egypt to the Negev. So Egypt is down here. And the Hebrew word for Egypt is the word Mitzrayim. Everybody say Mitzrayim. So Egypt, if you go northward, you go into a desert part of even what's now the modern day part of Israel called the Negev. Sometimes it's just called the south. But it's like a real desert part here in Israel. So he was going up. But originally he was coming down from what's modern day Iraq. 
right? So here in the Middle East. So he was coming down, he had to go through like part of Turkey, uh, part of uh, Syria, Lebanon, and then eventually he kind of made it to what's now modern day Israel. So the Negev is this large area down south, and then you have the rest of the northern part of the land of Israel. So in verse 1, we're in Genesis 13, if you're following along. Then Abram went up north from Egypt to the Negev, which is still the southern part of, of Israel. He, his wife, and all he had, and Lot with him. Abram was very rich. Everybody say rich. rich. In livestock, silver, and gold. This word here for rich is this word kavod. So what I'm doing tonight is I'm kind of expanding our horizons because I don't know how many of you have been around like kind of church th churchy things or stuff like that. But normally when people talk about the glory of God, they're normally not talking about livestock, silver, and gold, right? In fact, if somebody was to tell them that, hey, man, we're going to talk about the glory of God tonight. We're going to talk about how many, you know, how many cows you have and, you know, your, your, your 401k and, you know, your business plan. They'd be like, no, brother, we're, we're here to talk about, we're here to seek the glory of God. Well, the glory in this case was these material things, livestock, silver, and gold. Now, the Hebrew language is beautiful, meaning there's always a natural or a practical component. So in this case, we'll just put cows, <laughs> silver, and gold, right? Now, here's the other connotation with the word kavod or glory. It actually implies weightiness. It implies the, the mass of something, the heaviness of something, right? So this whiteboard really in comparison doesn't have a lot of kavod, right? It's kind of light. If I really wanted to, I could take it and just flick it like a big frisbee, right? But I'm sure the elders and the pastor here wouldn't, wouldn't appreciate, you know, making the contact with the pews and messing it up. But if I was going to try to like move this whole wall, right, with the stained glass window, this has more kavod, right? It has more weightiness or heaviness. And that's why these things were the connotation because livestock has mass, silver and gold. In fact, the way they used to um, do business is they would use something called a shekel. Everybody say shekel. shekel. Now, I wish I would have brought this as well, but there's actually a coin called a shekel. It's the currency of Israel. But back then, they didn't have coins. They would just have weights. Kind of like, have you ever gone fishing? Ever, anybody ever gone fishing? Have you ever seen like the little small weights? They're like the little balls that you put on the, on the fishing line. That's pretty much what like a shekel was. And then you could have like half of a shekel and a quarter of a shekel. And, and you would use that as your weight. So like when Abram or Abraham would buy something, he wasn't like busting out like, you know, a whole bag full of coins like later, you know, like we see in the new, the new covenant, like with Judas when he betrayed Jesus. But he was actually being, bringing a weight amount of silver or gold. So this is where the concept of glory comes in. So let's look at some scriptures from the book of Romans. And I really like asking questions. And you have a question right here. Yeah, excellent. So the question in essence was, didn't in the temple system, didn't they have their own currency, their own trading? They absolutely did. Um, so real quick, um, because that's an amazing question, I'd love to go deeper with that, is the original 
uh, place of worship that the Lord gave the children of Israel was, was something called a tent or a tabernacle. Everybody say tabernacle. tabernacle. Tabernacle is just a fancy word for tent. But it was called the tent of Moses. And in the Hebrew, this place, I'm just going to put an M, this place was called the Mishkan. Everybody say Mishkan. Mishkan was the place of gathering to worship for Adonai. So this was a very simple, it was portable, right? Like you ever seen those guys that have like the really cool trucks and they have like the tent that just like is right on top of their truck and they could just pop. Like this was the original one of those, right? Except they didn't have the cool like truck or chariot. They had to carry it by hand, but it was like mobile. Like they could move it and then they'd pop it back up and then, you know, they'd send, you know, uh, you know, guys like Micah and Adam, hey, you know, take it down and then, you know, set it up outside. And, you know, so this was the mobile. Now, eventually... After the time of David, David had his own tent as well, and it was called the Tent of David. It was a little bit different than the Tent of Moses, right? The Tent of David was filled with, like, worship and prayer, and in fact, like, that's kind of like one of the major visions here is for, you know, anytime you want, you can come here and pray and seek the Lord and, you know, bring your guitar or your CD player or just lay out before the Lord. So it's, it's more of a, a prayer and worship focus, but they would bring offerings, now, I think what you're referring to is during the time of Jesus, right? Okay, yeah. So during the time of Jesus or Yeshua, which is his Hebrew name, the name his mom called him, during that time, they had also a temple, right? But this one was like super fancy because this was actually the second temple, right? And the first one got destroyed and they built another one, a guy named uh, Nehemiah or Nehemiah, and Ezra, these guys were part of building the second temple. But then this other guy named Herod came. And Herod, he like wanted to make this thing like super fancy. So he made it like super extravagant. And they did have a system of selling animals because the system that's uh, written out in the book of Leviticus involved animal sacrifice. So pretty much any time you did anything, right? If there was a festival, if there was a holiday, um, if you wanted to celebrate somebody, like, like uh, if you remember when Jesus was dedicated on the eighth day after he was born, what happened to him? Do you remember when they took him to the temple? He was circumcised, but they also brought an offering. So there was a certain offering. They were supposed to, if they had enough money, be able to bring a lamb to sacrifice. But uh, uh, Joseph and Mary were probably not that rich, so they brought two pigeons or two turtle doves which was kind of like the secondary option. So you always brought an offering. So they did have a system in place. So it wasn't the fact that they were selling animals for the people to sacrifice. It's that they were charging them like way too much money, right? So like, let's say the, the lamb should have cost like 25 shekels or something. They were charging them like 50 shekels and they were charging them exorbitant amounts. So yeah, good question there. All right, so let's dive into the book of Romans. And then, Jordan, we should wrap up in about 10 minutes or? 15. Oh, man, he's feeling real generous tonight. So, <laughs> he's like, he's like, penalty, penalty. All right, so let's look at um, the book of Romans, chapter 2, verse 7. So it's really important that when we look at scriptures, that we look at all the different aspects of the Holy Bible. Uh, sometimes we just are, you know, kind of go with our favorite books, which Romans seems to be a favorite of a lot of people. But it's good that we also look into some of the other books, and um, we're going to take a moment to do that as well. Uh, so let's go to Romans chapter 2, verse 7. So 
Something that's really important is honor and humility and glory, they kind of are all interconnected. Now in Romans chapter 2 verse 7, it talks about there's going to be a time where we're going to receive um, payment in essence, or we're going to receive rewards. And um, I'm going to just kind of read this in context because it's good to always have uh, a proper uh, context when we're reading a text, but we're trying to get to verse 7. So that's the goal. But let's start off with verse 1. It says in Romans chapter 2, verse 1, Therefore, any one of you who judges is without excuse. For when you judge another, you condemn yourself, since you, the judge, do the same things. Right? How many of us have ever been there? Right? Like we're looking, man, that person. I mean, oh my gosh, like they're just so... And then we're, we're, we're really like judging ourselves because most people that have a lot of like judgment on other people, they're like super, super hard on themselves. And it normally comes off like as a critical spirit, right? I mean, don't say amen unless, uh, <laughs> unless we're hitting home right there, right? But verse two, it says, we know that God's judgment on those who do such things is based on the truth. So the Lord is glorious, right? In fact, in Psalm 24, it calls him Melech HaGavod, Melech HaGavod, the Lord of glory, right? Or the King of glory specifically. In verse two, it says, we know that God's judgment on those who do such things is based on truth, truth. So the Lord isn't going to assess something or observe something or judge something based on something that's not factual or actual. Verse three, do you really think Right? I love the way this is the Holman Christian uh, Standard Bible, verse 3. Do you really think any one of you who judges those who do such things yet do the same that you will escape God's judgment? Right? It's almost a rhetorical question. Like, of course not, right? Like, you can't be over there, like, you know, you know bringing the hammer down on somebody. Yeah, you know, you should have been at that, you know, Thursday night home group. And then they like, well, where were you? Well, I had something else to do. But you should have been there on Thursday nights, right? No, that would be ridiculous. Verse 4. Or do you despise the riches of his kindness, restraint, and patience, not recognizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance, Right? God's kindness is intended to lead us to repentance. Repentance is to change our direction. The Hebrew word is the word teshuva. Everybody say teshuva. Teshuva means you're going one way and then you literally just like bust a U-turn, right? So it's to change not only our mind, right? We understand that part, to change your mind, but it's to actually begin to change your trajectory or to change your path that you're on. Verse 5. But because of your hardness and unrepented heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment is revealed. He will repay each one according to his works. So look at verse 7. This is the part, this is the verse that we really want to live in, right? Eternal life to those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality glory honor and immortality so this is actually a good thing for us to be seeking kavod right to be seeking glory this is not our self-seeking right because in verse 8 he clarifies but wrath and indignation to those who are self-seeking and disobey the truth but are obeying unrighteousness and then it continues 
affliction and distress for every human being who does evil, first to the Jew and also to the Gentile or the Greek. But verse 10, look at this. But glory, honor, and peace. Everybody say peace. peace. Does anyone know the Hebrew word for peace? Shalom. Everybody say shalom. shalom. Then say shalomi, homie. <laughs> All right, that, that, was, that was for you. If, you. if you like missed everything else tonight and you were like, dude, that guy was way out there. It was way, just, from, just, just go out and say shalomi, homie. Right, yes, that, that's, that's the main thing you want to learn tonight. Now, it says, but glory, honor, and peace for everyone who does what is good, first to the Jew and also to the Greek. There is no favoritism with Elohim or with God, you see? So the beauty we have of the new covenant is now everybody has access to God's glory if we follow the path that he has. Now remember, the path that we have is the instructions that he's given us. So the instructions he's given us, even Jesus himself gave his apostles instructions, right? We talk about the great commission. That was a directive, that was an instruction. Go into all the world, right? Preach the gospel, making disciples, right? That's why you're here tonight, right? You wanna become a stronger disciple, a follower, right? Not just a fan, right? Not just someone who kind of admires, you know, Jesus because he was a great teacher or a great rabbi, but actually someone who follows him, right? So let's go ahead and wrap up here. Uh, I think this is an awesome chapter if you want to look at it some more. But I wanted to show you a couple other references for um, how the word kavod is used uh, and the word glory. So let's look at Proverbs 27.3. And then we'll probably wrap up here. For a side note, for those of you that are just like really into word, word studies, um, there's another noun form of this. And if anyone is in the medical industry, and it's uh, kavad, and it's the word they use in Hebrew for the liver, the liver. Because I don't know if you've ever like, you know, like been around liver, like maybe like cow liver or something. But for the size of it, it's kind of heavy. It's kind of dense. And it also implies like the liver, the mindset of the Hebrews was like the liver was sort of like the internal part of who you were. It was kind of like your... Um, almost like it would kind of direct, um, you know how people use the term like, uh, what do they say, the quiver in your liver or something like that, right? It was almost like something that would regulate who you are. Well, we know functionally, right, that a liver, it, it filters the blood, right? It filters the blood. So the other cool word that you could kind of pull out of this is if you take this third letter here, which is what letter in Hebrew? Dalit. Everybody say Dalit. And what does it mean in the pictograph, in the paleo? The door. So if you take this dalit, which is the door, so think about this for a second, and then you add another Hebrew letter. This is a mem, a final mem. This would be equivalent to like an M, so this is not a cuss word, but this is D-A. And then if you were to put an A in the middle, you would spell the word dam. Everybody say dam. Dam actually equals blood. So look at how the word was formed. It's like the water or the liquid over the door, right? So this was all going back to the Exodus. The liquid, the water, the, the mem is the ma'im, the water, and then over the door, and that would spell the word, or that would be equivalent, these two letters together for the word blood. So let's look at Proverbs 27.4, and then I'll stick around afterwards, post-podcast, 
And uh, if you want to ask some more questions, we can definitely do that. Uh, 27.4. Excuse me, 27.3. So it says that a stone is heavy and sand a burden, but aggra aggravation from a fool outweighs them both. So again, this concept here is kavod, is heavy. A stone is heavy and sand a burden, but aggravation from a fool outweighs them both. So not only could kavod have a positive connotation, it also can have a negative connotation. And let's look at another proverb here. Uh, let's look at Proverbs 22.4. And we'll wrap up here tonight. Proverbs 22.4. Again, where we started off originally. The result of humility is the fear of the Lord, along with wealth, honor, and life. So this concept of glory or kavod, all of that is built into wealth, honor, and life. But the pathway to that is humility in the fear of the Lord or to reverence. So our degree of humility, our degree of being teachable, right, does everyone kind of understand the difference between true humility and false humility? Pretty much? Okay, so false humility is just like, oh man, I'm not worth anything. It's all about God. You know, I'm just a worm. You know, I'm just like, man, I, I, I'm not even worth, in fact, I'm not going to even sit in here and I'm just going to like stand outside and listen because I'm like, that's like someone who's almost like self-deprecating, uh, right? And, and you see a lot of this, especially in a lot of religious circles, people think they have to like, you know, beat themselves. Like, I think even in the next couple of days, you're going to see people like crucifying themselves and, you know, beating themselves, thinking they have to do penance. Well, that's totally false humility, right? Because we know that Jesus, he already paid the price so that we could live in the abundant life. But true humility is being teachable. True humility is saying, look, I'm open to learning something that I may not know, Right? True humility is being a prayerful person. You know, one of the, 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 the most humble people are the people who pray the most because we need the most help, <laughs> right? When you're praying, when you're talking to God, I mean, I was asking my wife earlier, she was, she was cooking a meal for one of the sisters here, and, uh, and I asked her, I said, honey, um, do you ever ask the Holy Spirit to help you when you cook? And she was like, no. You know, <laughs> she was just like totally honest, right? And I said, you know, that's really cool. Like I was, I was expecting her to say like, yeah, sometimes I do, but she's like, no, <laughs> you know? And that's like sign of true humility is just being honest. It's also giving an honest perspective about who you are, right? So if someone tells you like, man, you're like, I really like your fashion. Like you're a cool, like you got a cool eye for fashion. You know, you just say, well, thank you. Right? That's like just to be humble, like, yeah, thank you, that's cool. Right? Or if you do something well, if, if you're good at something or someone compliments you, the best way to respond is just to say thank you. Now, of course, if you want to accent like, well, yeah, all glory to God. Yeah, sure. Everything we have is from him, right? But having an accurate perception of yourself, when you perceive yourself correctly, other people you encounter, you'll be able to see them correctly. Because whether we like it or not, every single day of our life, we're making assessments. We're making judgments, right? Do I want to befriend this person, right? I got a friend request for them. Do I want to accept that friend request, right? Is this person a stalker or, you know what I mean? Like, what's really going on? So you're always having to make assessments. When we have humility, then God's heaviness or his glory, right? His honor 
The other word we think of is using honor is by using these things. The way you honor somebody, right? Especially if you come from a rural community is you give them a cow, right? <laughs> right? I had a buddy, I'll close with this. I had a buddy who, uh, he's from South Carolina. And uh, when he was a little guy, his parents, they really wanted to bless him for his birthday, right? So he was really excited. He was like, oh man, maybe they'll buy me like a bicycle or they're going to buy me like something really fun to play with. And then uh, one day his dad took him out and his name was, was Will, Will Copeland. He took him out and he's like, all right, Will, you know, in his Southern, I can't do a real good Southern accent, but he's like, all right, Will, uh, this is your gift. And he was there and he was like, it's a calf. Wow, thanks, Dad. That was, that's amazing. And he's like, yeah, we thought it'd be a real blessing for you, son. You know, <laughs> so he gave him a calf, right? He was trying to honor his son. Maybe he was reading Abraham's life, right? He's like, we're not going to give him no silver or gold, but we're going to give him a cow. Uh, but the mindset or the concept was that cow, he could take care of it. It would be like a quasi pet. And then eventually he get big enough where, you know, the cow would turn into a uh, uh, somebody's, you know, lunch or meal or several meals, uh, or he could sell it or whatever the case may be. So, so honor is oftentimes in something tangible. So, can you say amen? Amen. Amen. So I think that's. A-